0: Thank you for joining us for this message from Cornerstone Community Church in Lynchburg, Virginia. And now let's join our guest speaker. Uh, We live life as kind of like nomads, but uh, uh, this is where our our home family is. Uh, I want to start off the message with a story, a true account uh, concerning... uh, a president who is unique in our history, Richard Nixon. Now, how many of you remember Richard Nixon? <laughs> now, for some of you, it's ancient history. <laughs> for some of us, it's current events, right? Well, Nixon was uh, unique in two ways. He's unique in that he's the only president I ever gave a gospel tract to. <laughs> and he's the only president who resigned in office. And the reason he resigned was something called the Watergate Scandal, if you know anything about that. There was a break-in during the, uh, what, 1970 election uh, campaign. And there was an attempt by people in Nixon's staff to cover up this break-in. And one of the main people involved in that was a man named Chuck Colson, he was known as Nixon's hatchet man. He would take care of the dirty work. Well, to make a long story short, Colson, uh, in the process, was indicted uh, and convicted of obstruction of justice. And he ended up uh, going to jail, going to prison. And when he got out of prison, because God had done something in his life, he founded a couple of very significant ministries. One was prison fellowship uh, and <clears throat> made some uh, important improvements in what was going on in the prisons. Uh, many people came to the Lord through that. He also founded a ministry called Breaking or Breakpoint, which was uh, like gospel, short gospel things that were on the radio. <clears throat> well, here is uh, Chuck Colson's testimony. It says, one night Colson gave his life to Jesus. His friend Tom Phillips read this to him from C.S. Lewis's book, Mere Christianity. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know I had to get C.S. Lewis in there, right? <laughs> this is what uh, Lewis wrote. There is one vice of which no man in the world is free, Lewis wrote, which everyone in the world hates when he sees it in someone else. The vice I am talking of is pride. Pride leads to every other vice. It is the complete anti-God state of mind. As long as you are proud, you cannot know God. A proud man is always looking down on things and people. And of course, as long as you are looking down, you cannot see something that is above you. As Colson said on Breakpoint many years later, I felt as if Lewis were speaking, writing to me, a former Marine captain, special counsel to the President of the United States, now in the midst of the Watergate scandal. I had an overwhelming sense that I was unclean. I spent an hour calling out to God. I did not even know the right words. I simply knew that I wanted him. And I knew for certain that the God who created the universe heard my cry. So God took Colson's failures and he brought out of those failures blessings for both Colson and for many other people. Got it in early, Chad. <laughs> well, one of my favorite things about God, if it's okay to have a favorite thing about God, is that God is a redeemer. It means that God brings good things out of bad. And uh, I've seen that happen in my life. How about you? Have you seen God bring good things out of bad? Uh, One of the first verses that new believers are encouraged to to memorize is Romans 8.28. Who knows that verse, Romans 8.28? For we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who are called according to his purpose. And uh, so God can do that, and God does do that. What I like to do is to look at four famous failures <laughs> in the Scripture as examples of what God can do to bring good out of bad. The first one to look at is Abraham. Abraham, father of uh, Judaism, the father in that sense of Christianity. The Muslims claim him as their father. Uh, what do we know? If we go back and read the account of Abraham, we see that he uh, made some severe mistakes. At one point, he, he denied that his wife was his wife <laughs> in order to save his own skin. Another place, uh, God had promised him that he would have many descendants And as the years went by and he didn't have any children and they were getting old and Sarah didn't bear any children, Abraham decided he would help God out. (laughs) And so he slept with Sarah, his wife's servant, and had Ishmael and all kinds of trouble have come from that. So here's the account of what Abraham actually did. But listen to this account in the New Testament. How is Abraham... Describe as an example of faith. This is the, uh, in Romans four twenty through 22 With respect to the promise of God, Abraham did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith, giving glory to God and being fully assured that what God had promised, he was able also to perform Therefore, it was also credited to him as righteousness. Now, does that sound like an accurate description? said <laughs> he did not waver in unbelief. Uh, he was fully assured that God would do it. And we look back and we think, well, wait a minute, is this a mistake in the Bible? <laughs> is the description in the New Testament different from the old? Well, I think the way to understand that is that something that we see in this uh, Hebrew's Chapter eight twelve, <clears throat> where it says that, in their sins and their lawless deeds, God will remember no more. Now, some people think, will use this to say, well, God is absent-minded. Well, I think that's a mistake. That's confusing the difference between recall and remembering. If God is absent-minded, if he could not remember it, then it means that God is not omni- omniscient. He obviously knows everything. He recalls everything. But what does it mean that he did not remember it? When we take communion, Jesus says, take this in remembrance of me. It's not like we're saying, oh yeah, I I forgot Jesus died on the cross. I mean, that's not why we do that. Remembrance means that not only are we recalling that, but we're embracing that, we're applying that to our lives. And so when the Bible says God does not remember our sins. It's not like he forgot them, but he's not applying that. He's not holding us to that. Does that make sense? So this is part of the redemption that God does, that he, he removes the things that we've repented of. He does not remember them. But then it, he turns around and he brings something good. And in fact, and Abraham did go on and had uh, Isaac and Isaac became the father of uh, Esau Jacob Jacob became Israel and founded the the nation of Israel. So we also have another example, David now David did a lot of good things, but did David blow it to big time David we uh, there were lots of little things, but some of the one of the big things that David did was he was guilty of <clears throat> failing to go out and lead the army the way he was supposed to as a king. The result of that, <clears throat> he got tempted by Bathsheba. He committed adultery. And then his own Watergate, trying to cover up his sin, he uh, arranged for Bathsheba's husband to be killed in battle. So he's guilty of adultery, deception, of murder. And then he was confronted later by the prophet Nathan. And he repented a very sincere uh, abject repentance and uh, so we see that the result of that was that God redeemed it and he became what it was described we see now in acts 13:22 says God raised up David to be their king concerning whom he also testified and said I have found David the son of Jesse a man after my heart who will do all." My will. Well, it's obvious there were some things he did that were not God's will. And this used to really bug me. He says, God, how can you call David a man after your own heart? Look what he did. But this part of God being a redeemer, that takes away those things while we blow it, that removes our failures and replaces it with what's good. David repented in humility. And God redeemed him. Another couple of verses that most new believers are encouraged to believe is 1 John 1 verses 8 and 9. It says, if we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There's a story about the Emperor Frederick the Great, who's the King of Prussia. And he visited went and visited some uh, uh, prison in Potsdam, and he, when he visited that prison, he began to talk to one man after the other, and every man claimed to be innocent. Everyone claimed to be a victim of the sin of the system. And there was one man that. Uh, the, the Emperor saw sitting in the corner with his head bowed and not saying anything, and he went over to that man and says, "Well, sir, who do you blame for your sentence?" And the man's response was, "Your Majesty, I am guilty and I, guilty, and I rightly deserve the punishment." The surprise, the Emperor uh, called to the, the prison warden, he said, "Quick." Come and get this man out of here before he corrupts all these innocent people. <laughs> well, the confession, confession can read, lead to repentance, can re- lead, then lead to restoration and freedom. Now, another example. Look at Peter. After boasting at the Lord's Supper, says, "Lord, I will follow you to the death." We know what happened. The night that Jesus was repa- uh, betrayed. Jesus uh, was denied three times by Peter directly. Uh, And take this into context. Earlier, Jesus had made this statement in uh, Matthew 10.33. If you deny me before men, I will deny you before the Father on Judgment Day. Very sobering. If you confess me before men, I will confess you before my Father. But if you deny me before men, I will deny you before my Father. Now, did Jesus deny Peter? No. Peter repented. And so the thing that would apply without repentance does not apply. And so Peter was redeemed. He went on, uh, in his first two sermons, had 8,000 people come to the Lord. Pretty good. <laughs> uh, and then he went on and lived for many years as the chief apostle to the Jews. And according to tradition, he followed the Lord uh, to death by crucifixion himself. Crucified upside down because he didn't feel worthy to be crucified the way Jesus was. And so we see Peter redeemed, another famous failure. And then finally, one final example is St. Paul. Now, how did Paul describe himself? He said he was the chief of sinners. Now, he wasn't just sort of being trying to be diplomatic or whatever. Why was he chief of sinners? Well, <clears throat> Paul was there holding the, the coats of people who stoned uh, Stephen, the first martyr. And then he went on, he, thinking that he was uh, obeying God, he pursued the Christians. He yanked them out of their homes. He threw them into prisons. He was even caused some of them to be put to death. And as as you know, as he was on his way to Damascus to to find more Christians, to see if he could persecute them, the Lord knocked him off his high horse (laughs) (laughs) and uh, brought him to his knees and brought him to repentance. And so then Paul went on to become the chief apostle to the Gentiles. And it was through the ministry of Paul that we are here today. And uh, so this is a great story of redemption, of what God had done with the Apostle Paul. So these are failures that God redeemed. And that's not the only ones. We could talk about Moses, talk about uh, others in the Bible that God redeemed. Let me ask you, have you had any failures in 2015? <laughs> I had plenty. There have been times, there, I, there have been long periods of time in my life when I had Month after month after month, following a failure, and then God saw later uh, how God redeemed that. Uh, so when we have failures, we need to recognize that they don't surprise God. God knows very well. Uh, <clears throat> I've been trying recently to memorize Psalm 103, which is full of wonderful things. and one of the, the verses in Psalm 103 is verse 12 is for he himself knows our frame. He is mindful that we are but dust. So God's not surprised by our failures. He's not surprised by our weakness. He knew all about that before he decided to send his son to come and pay the price for us. Uh, So we can have the confidence that if he's done that, that he will continue to, to hold us as his children. Recently, uh, I've taken up a hobby after a 30 year lapse, a hobby of working with pottery. and uh, I'm really enjoying it, and there are a lot of stages when you work with, with clay. <clears throat> but one of the very first things you have to do with clay, and I had to, re- to learn this over again the hard way, is a process called wedging. Any of you ever done any pottery or work with clay? Well, the wedging is sort of like kneading dough uh, on steroids. <laughs> because you take the clay and you have to, you wedge it and you twist it and you bend it over and you mash it and you do this and it's, of course, the clay is a lot heavier than dough. And so you do this workout. Why do you do that to the clay? Because the clay in the natural state is not consistent. There are, uh, hard parts and soft parts, and if you try to work with clay that's not prepared this way, it won't cooperate. And so after you wedge the clay, and you put that on the potter's wheel, and you begin to work with it, then the potter can make it what he wants to. But if the clay has not been wedged, and I found this out with several pots I tried to throw, the clay will start to fall apart, (coughs) and and it won't hold up. Well, there's a picture, it's a number of pictures in the Bible that compare that. Isaiah 64:8 says, "But now, O Lord, you are our Father; we are the clay; you are our potter, and all of us are the work of your hand." But the results of God's working can be pretty good. <laughs> uh, in 2 Corinthians 4:7, it says, "We have these." this treasure, the treasure of the gospel, the treasure of the presence of the Holy Spirit, we have this treasure in earthen vessels so that the surpassing greatness and the power of God will be um, not from ourselves, but from God himself. So how does God redeem our failures? Well, he redeems our failures usually not so much by comfort, (laughs) but by hard times. We go through hard times is when we learn things. The, the, <clears throat> the things that have done the most to, to help uh, make my life better and make me a better person than I was has not been times of comfort, but have been times of hard times and difficult times with that wedging of the life to get me ready for God to work in me. And sometimes there's direct discipline that God brings to do that wedging. In Hebrews chapter 12, and, and you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. God doesn't treat us as just uh, acquaintances or only as friends, but as his own children. He disciplines us for our good so that we may share his holiness. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. It yields fruit. The discipline is not something that just an end in itself. There's a purpose for it, that God does that in our lives. Well, I've had a lot of failures in my life. But I can say from experience that there's at least one good thing that comes out of every failure, and that is it helps us to gain a little bit more humility. (laughs) Uh, As C.S. Lewis wrote, and as Charles Coulson responded to, is that pride is the thing that is sort of the source of all the other, the worst things in our life. James says, God gives greater grace. How does he do that? Therefore, it says, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. What's better to, to have uh, God as somebody who's opposed to you or someone who's giving you grace? <laughs> you know, you don't want God as your an opponent. <laughs> Although when God is our opponent in disciplining us, even that is part of his grace, isn't it? Uh, and James goes on, it even has the nerve to say this <clears throat> in James chapter 1, consider it all joy. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing your, of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect results so that you may perfect, be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Well, I'm still working on that counting it all joy part. (laughs) But I'm starting to learn that when I'm going through hard times, my prayer now is, God, let me see through that. Let me see that you are a redeemer. I don't like what's going on, but let me help me to trust you that there's something good that's going to come out of this. Uh, Do you have any failures in 2015? Mm -hmm. Do you think you'll have any failures in 2016? <laughs> can we approach those failures in a different way now? Uh, so as, as we approach 2016, my prayer for us is that instead of just simply regretting our failures, we can use those as a reminder to trust God and to look for him to do working in our lives. In preparing for this message, I saw something in one of my favorite scriptures. It's in John chapter 10, verses 27 through 30. And I like to quote this especially often with uh, seafarers who are shaky about knowing whether they can really know that they can trust God and can know they're going to heaven. And as Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me and I give to them eternal life. And they will never perish. And no one can snatch them out of my hand. My Father who is greater than all has given them to me and no one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Now in the past, I've I've compared that. I've told the crew member, have you ever seen uh, parents walking across the gangway under the ship with small children? And sometimes these gangways are just, they have a railing that's maybe three or four feet high and there's some space between the rails. And a small child could easily fall through that. And if they do, they may fall 50 feet onto the, the pier. So it could be a very dangerous thing. So what the parents do in that case, they grab the hand of that child. And the safety of that child is the strength of the parent to be able to hold onto the child. That child's safety is not primarily in the child's ability to hold onto the parent. And when Jesus says, no one can snatch them out of my hand, that is the security we have. We belong to him. we will be with him. But what I saw, didn't see before, as I was reading this, was that we're in his hand. We're not only in his hand so that he holds us security, securely. We're in his hands At the potter. <laughs> and he's molding us. And that's what his, it's it's not just passive, it's okay, just follow me and we'll get there. There's a process that he's going about. Uh, Paul says in one place, for I'm confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. He is the potter, we are the clay. And so that's part of the privilege we have to be needed. (laughs) K-N-E-A-D-E-D, <laughs> to be to be wedged and to be conformed to the image of His Son. Uh, so if the chief sinner, Paul, could say that, and that I'm going to ask for us to to uh, finish up with uh, one of my favorite hymns, uh, <coughs> where Paul says is quoting uh, the the words of the hymn They're quoting something Paul wrote in Timothy for I'm confident of this very thing that he, not that verse but that I'm confident that what I've committed unto him he is able to keep that until the day and so if the worship team can come up I'd I'd like us to sing this not just as a type of entertainment but as an expression as a confession of our faith And then along with Paul, who is the chief of sinners, that we can say also, I'm confident that what I've committed to him, he's going to keep and continue to work until that day. So when we commit our failures past and future to the Lord, we can see that they will open the door for us to blessings and victory. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this message from Cornerstone Community Church.